Welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey. She's William Rosborn, and this is Inside Exec. This week we're continuing our discussion with Karen Farrell Rhodes, and we're going to look this week at what you can do to develop your leadership brand, as well as what the challenges will be for leadership of teams in the coming years. One of the things that is being introduced here lately is the four-day work week as a, a very much an option, but yes. almost at the same level are organisations saying that we don't want anyone to work from home anymore. Yeah, you're right on that. Are you finding that there is a change in what is required in leadership qualities because of that change in the way the, the workforce is, is actually addressing their day-to-day activities? Absolutely. Gosh, I could go again for hours on this, but I know we can't. But I'll just say many of leaders in traditional industries quite honestly just weren't prepared for the, and weren't agile enough or adaptable enough to effectively lead through the pandemic and the end result of the you know, the shorter work weeks or hybrid uh, work styles or purely remote work styles. It was a challenge from them on many levels. One, from their questioning, from what I've had discussions with leaders, them questioning their effectiveness to lead from afar when they don't have an eye on you and me sitting at a desk. But the demand in the talent market, as you have hinted at, there's been more demand from top talent to be able to have that flexibility. And so there's an interesting tension that is going on between the more traditional companies that haven't accepted some of the newer work styles and leadership needs than those industries that have adapted a bit more. I don't know how it is in your neck of the woods, but in the States, unemployment is historically low. So it's very, very hard to find the type of talent that is skilled with the skills that you need, number one, anyway. And then on top of that, if they're not wanting to uh, adapt a hybrid or a remote work, if they're wanting a hybrid or a remote workforce and don't want to come in every day of the week, that group of talent is totally off the table for you. And some of the companies can't afford to let that type of level of talent go by. So I'll summarize it by saying, yes, it is still a major, major challenge. Leaders are struggling with how to adapt in their real world environments. Talent is still demanding, for the most part, that flexibility, no matter what industry. I mean, there's a few that don't mind um, going back full time, but Um, Most are asking the question when they are interviewing or considering new roles, either within the company or external to the company. But it is changing the way we think about skilling or upskilling the leaders of tomorrow. And and that was my my next question was (laughs) if you are a, a leader at the moment and you've decided that you've looked at you've done a self-assessment and you've decided that you are very much a hands-on leader and you like the social aspect of going around and talking to everyone feeling like you're encouraging them and moving them forward by by being there and that's not physically there physically there so and and that's not on the table anymore you know that your remote skills are not as good where do you go to upskill yourself interesting that you have that <laughs> 
there are quite a few regular workshops on how to, they've popped up everywhere during the pandemic on how to be a better remote or hybrid leader. But I'm of the opinion that the workshops and, you know, YouTube videos can give you a hint and some thoughts and some ideas, but Mm -hmm. it's helpful to actually have a coach along the way. If you know that that's a deficit of yours, to have a coach, an executive coach that is skilled in this area that can help you evolve over your period of time that you're receiving your coaching. Because the devil's in the details. It's how you handle your particular team in your culture, in your company, and in your environment, dealing with the business goals of your department or team and being hit with the unknowns that you're having to experience every day, the office politics, the changes in the industry, the geopolitical environments, having someone to work that through with you until you get to a comfort level that you can manage on your own, in my opinion, is very clear, is very needed. One of the workshops that we provide at SDL is called Leadership in Action. And so it goes past all the theory leadership skills theory, which are very important. Everybody definitely needs to upskill and different things like, you know, uh, creating a vision and uh, building a high-performing team and, you know, you name the leadership competency. Those skills are are very important. But what I have found, and and based on the research that uh, we did for the book, we found that the missing piece was the end result in helping them to understand all of that they learned before and how to apply it in their day-to-day job and role and activity. And that level of support, in my opinion, is a miss that most organizations don't offer, yep. but it's what's truly needed by our leaders. Particularly now where that role is changing so much Absolutely. and so often. Maybe we should get to the questions. If you'd like, we're flowing kind of good in my opinion, but okay. (laughs) The first one is for individuals. How do they build a leadership and inverted commas brand? So how do they brand themselves as a, a leader of a particular style? Yeah, that's a great question. One thing about leadership, I always call it transforming your personal brand into a leadership brand. Okay. A leadership brand is the end result of a lot of activities that you have done up to that point. A leadership brand really focuses on how you have differentiated your impact as compared to your peers or competition. When you're able to stand out in a a big way and make a, a huge impact where people are very compelled to follow your lead, then that's when you become more known or renowned for that magic sauce that you brought to the table, like your unique skills and abilities that you were able to bring to the table to apply to a particular leadership effort or initiative is what helps fuel what will be known as your leadership brand. A leadership brand is just you being able to associate your name in the minds of others of being an expert at what you do and how you do it. So when your listeners ask, you know, how do I build a leadership brand? Um, What I would encourage them to do is really identify not only their strengths, which is really popular in the world of work of identifying your strengths. You should do that. But you should take a second look at your strengths and double down and identify 
what are your unique differentiators? What do you bring to the table that the decision makers in your organization or in your business are dying to know or are, are, are dying to, what's a problem that they have that they're dying to solve that you have the unique ability to help lead an effort to do so? Once you're able to do that, and if you're successful with that, that's when you become renowned for your areas of expertise and your name becomes more associated with the work you do, the value you offer. And that's when you start building what is ultimately a leadership brand for yourself. Does that make sense? It does. I'm interested in that sense that we talked about strengths. Obviously, you're going to see that there are areas of weakness. How much do you look at thinking about that these are areas that are probably important and I should make them better? Or do you just say, okay, I've identified them. I know that's the areas that that I'm not going to be as strong in and just be happy that you've identified them and and stay with the strengths. Well, I'm going to go against the convention of some leaders like Marcus Buckingham and those who say, only focus on your strengths. I do think that not maybe not equal time, but sometimes should be carved out to improve upon your areas of opportunity to improve in certain skills, abilities, or behaviors, because you don't want them to be derailers for what you do. So you might be able to, you know, shine and have everybody initially love with you, what you do. But if there is a derailer, like, for example, you, I don't know, talk over others or you don't respect others, all your great work that you've done in trying to lead an effort can be totally derailed by the emotions others feel by working with you. So I do feel that you should work on your areas of opportunity for improvement to ensure that they don't derail your leadership efforts or initiatives that you're trying to do. Yeah. And I I guess it also comes into being if you're in one industry and then you decide you want to move to another industry where some of those areas for opportunity are a bit more important than they have been in that, that you, you, you need to not just have identified them, but know that there's something that needs to happen about them. Exactly, exactly. So the next question was, why have you called the company shockingly different leadership? Well, uh, in, in full transparency, part of it was a true marketing play. Uh, when you start a firm, you want um, people at least to, you want to capture their attention to, yeah. for them to at least see what you're doing and what you're up to. But what we we do try to do is we try to positively impact people and businesses above the norm. We like to be able to provide value over and above what you could find by searching on Google. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, we have to find our own differentiators. You know, what can we provide over and above the base of what you could find that will delight our clients and who we work with. And we build that into our values as a company. And then we also hope to help our clients deliver what we call shockingly different results, results that were better, more positive and more impactful than they originally thought um, could be done. And when you're able to do that, that's what helps to generate 
repeat, you know, business and deeper relationships. And that's what we love to do at um, SDL. Yeah. (laughs) So have you been surprised by some results that you've got? Every day. (laughs) (laughs) Every day. (laughs) There's never a typical day in our business. Sometimes it takes longer than we had desired to get to this shockingly different type of piece of it. But since that is our goal and we strive for that, before we close out any client engagement, and we are a global um, company, uh, we try to ensure that we did go that extra mile. So that's the, that's the short answer. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah, because you, you need to get that reward as well. You've, you've made the commitment to, to making yourselves different. So the next one was, are we transitioning from focused leadership to task orientation? And I guess this is a result of people not being in the office all the time and so not seeing that not having that day-to-day leadership interaction right. that they there's a feeling that their their leadership now is based on getting a job done rather than the broader social aspects and leadership development or or just skills development that might be happening otherwise and so, so your question is do you see that we are transitioning from focused leadership in terms of leadership skills to task oriented leaders I do, Kim, I'm, but I do think there is still room for both and still okay. a need for a focus on both. But to your point, I do think we're evolving to more task-oriented leadership and just task-oriented roles. And I think there are a couple of things that are driving that. One is that, and I'm not sure about in your area of the world, but in general, we're seeing a less of an emphasis on students getting formal degrees Mm. and more on the types of skills that companies and organizations are needing to get their work done. And so that bit of a shift, and it's not for everybody, but that bit of a shift is causing a culture more focused on task orientation than just general leadership orientation. The second trend that's kind of going on in the market that you might be seeing is that tenure at a company has decreased over the last 10 to 15 years. Um, I'm telling my age, but back when I first started in the job market, you know, you were going to, you were considered job hopping if you, you know, went to an organization less than three years, you know, and it was frowned upon. You had to answer for it in your next interview. Now there's more agility of individuals and professionals to move to new opportunities sooner. So no longer do a lot of organizations have the bandwidth to be able to invest three to five to seven years in uh, leadership development because their staff might not be there at that length of time. (laughs) So they're having to ensure that they're providing the support and skills and getting the tasks done from their job, the the tasks that support the business, get those done to the best of their ability versus, you know, a longer term development. The leaders of today and tomorrow are having to have that agility, are required to have that agility to be able to deal with the flux and talent that comes in and out of their organizations. I guess that, and I'll just put a couple of notes down for me so I would remember, I guess we're we're in a, a situation where in terms of management levels that we still have decision makers 
who come from that culture of the longer you were in a job, the better you must have been. But in the next 10 years, that will change. So if we, we, we look at that transitioning period, we're going to have organisations and decision makers in organisations that will not be impressed by a long period of time at one organisation. If you're in the generation where you thought that was the thing you should be doing and you know that you want to work for another 10, 15 years, do you change your pattern? Do you start to think about, even though I love it, in this organisation I really, for longer term for my career, should I, I move around, should I try something different? Or do you stick with what you know and say, well, I'll, if it comes to a, a point where I, I do need decide to change and I'm up against someone who's had 10 different jobs in the last 30 years and I've only had two, as those job hopping people, we'll call them now, are doing, do you have the answer ready to say, well, this is why I stayed for as long as I did? Oh, absolutely. Because you're going to have to plead your case, if you will for the new opportunities. And I do think there will always be value of a depth of experience as well as a breadth breadth of experience. So there will always be that, the the possibilities out there that um, will appreciate what you bring to the table. You might have to search for them a little bit harder. The way I, to your point, Kim, the way I see the culture evolving is it's going to become more and more acceptable for the job hopping and you're going to have to find your your place in that new culture of work that's coming our way. It's here now, but it's really going to evolve in the next five to 10 years. Yeah. Is yeah. there value then if you're a person who is happy where they are, still got the challenges, still know that you're contributing all of those things, but you do have external interests where skills are being used. In the past, I know my HR experience is a long time ago, but we we used to look at what people did outside of work and it it had some value. It was sort of 10% of the decision was, do they involve themselves with things outside? Do they just live for work? Is the skills we see at work, are they the only skills they have or do they have other skills that we're not using at work that might be useful in this organisation? So do we start to emphasise the external, external to work activities that people are doing? If they're willing to share, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If they can share, you know, what kind of skills it might be, like to your point, volunteer experience, there might be some great skills that they have gained through being on a board or working in a volunteer agency. Um, I also think that professionals are going to have to be a lot more flexible about where they work and the work that they do. And what I mean by that is as we move more and more towards an emphasis on skills versus degrees, it might be that your skills may be used in multiple departments and they rotate you as needed because, you know, depending upon who needs you the most at the time. And I'll give you a quick example. I have a client who, they're building a new supplier diversity program and they needed help from finance on how to think through that and building it. And I remember that they assigned one of their senior accountants over to the supplier diversity team for a four month period to help them build a supplier diversity program and how that 
they should think about, you know, the compensation and process and what have you. You may not be in working in your the department you were hired 24-7 anymore. But your skills will be reallocated to where the business or organization or your employer needs you at the time. And so yeah. that agility is going to be required as well from the workforce. Challenging. Very. <laughs> bit like when hot desking was first introduced and people thought, yes. but where's my coffee mug going to live? You're so right. <laughs> There's certainly some ideas to think about when we consider our leadership and future leadership roles. Let's take a break in our discussion now with Karen Farrell-Rhodes. Join us for part three, the final part of our discussion next week. For now, I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. <laughs> 